0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. As Lori mentioned, this month we have been looking at unselfish living, um, living generous and compassionate lives. And, and one man that's just really uh, demonstrated this uh, by his life is Tom Agum. Uh Tom, if, if you get him starting to talk about kids and need in the world... You know he'll just like tear up all over the place, oh. and um, and that's where I learned it all from him. He's the master. Um, uh, Tom is the president of Hope for Kids International um, since 1973. They have been involved in helping um, meet the needs of kids. And what I love about Hope for Kids is they, they bring the gospel, um, but not just with words; it's with actions. And uh, Tom is here. Tom's been with us probably for the last 16, 17 years. We we're trying to figure out when, the, how long it's been. Almost since our inception as a church. And uh, Thanksgiving weekend is the weekend that he always comes, because there's one less Christmas sermon I have to do. Um, No, I'm just kidding. And uh, we're glad to have him with us. So would you welcome, please, Tom
1: Egham, please. Good morning, and happy Thanksgiving in Benicia. Oh, great tradition. I hope I'll be invited back again next year. We'll make it 17. I know I did miss one. I missed my flight one time. But uh, it's always a joy to be here. Uh, Northgate is such a special part of our ministry and has been over the years. Many of you sponsor our kids around the world. Many of you have traveled with us. In fact, this last year, we had a number of Northgate people travel. Where's Sammy? Is he here? There he is. Are you guys responsible for him? Oh, man. Sammy, stand up. He went to Peru with me. Now, now his sister, he was, he was awesome. His sister went to uh, Africa with us. And you know, Caitlin, she's sweet, cute and all this. So I expect your brother to be somewhat like that. (laughs) Wow. I see why you sent him alone with me. Uh, No, Sammy was fantastic. And your cousin, Lindsay, uh, was just a delight. Uh, In the last service, we had a couple young people uh, uh, with us that had traveled with us. And it was just a delight to have these guys. And Sam actually worked very hard. Does he do that at home? He does. Oh, I thought I was doing something new. <laughs> but anyway, it was great. Uh, and then uh, uh, two weeks ago, we returned back from, uh, from Uganda. And uh, Cheryl and John, who were here in the first service with us, Pastor Ken was with us, of course. It's always a delight to travel with Ken. You know, he got me kicked out of Cuba one time. <laughs> you know that story. And then this time, sometimes he, he does embarrassing things. Does he ever do that back home? Does he? he? No? No. Okay. We built this medical clinic for our Karaman Jung kids. These are street kids that we feed uh, daily, about 420 of them. So we had a a donor build us a uh, a medical clinic, and he and his wife were from El Central California. They were there. And uh, the deputy mayor is giving this speech. And one of the things I love about working in Uganda in particular is the government guys are... if not greater preachers than we are, Uh, and it's such a delight to go into the government and they'll say, have you really prayed about this? And you're thinking, well, yeah, a little. Well, then let's pray now. You know, and you're thinking, government guys are praying with us? We went in to see the mayor, and I, uh, the mayor brought in the press and a number of his staff and asked me to tell all about Hope for Kids, which I told about digging wells and sponsoring kids in our farm and our fish farm and different things that we're doing. And, and at the end, I thought I'd said everything, and he said, Tom, you didn't tell him the most important thing. And I said, well, what is that? I'm thinking he's going to ask for money or something. And he said, you didn't tell them. You're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mean, you're like, whoa, government guys! I was trying to be a little careful here, you know. So we've got this deputy mayor. He's given this speech. He's so grateful. He's so moved by... What's been happening with these street kids? We've been feeding them a highly nutritious food this last year from uh, Feed My Starving Children. We've seen great changes in their brain development and skeletal development and their diseases. Uh, Their faces have been clearing up from scabies, different things like that. So he's just in awe of what's been going on. And so he's... You know, thanking us and thanking God. And he's preaching, really. And people are saying, amen, yes. And then all of a sudden he stopped and kind of turned it around. And he said, am I lying to you? And Ken goes, yeah. <laughs> so it was a little embarrassing. A couple of our staff members could not control their laughter. We were laughing so hard that Ken uh, missed the cue there. But anyway, so... Uh, Uh, Do that to him sometime, okay? (laughs) When when he's all wound up, then give him a yow on something, you know, like, am I lying to you? Anyway, we love Ken. Uh, Truly, uh, your being there always has a special impact on our team, Uh, and every morning we have what's called a family time where our team gets together and share the highlights from the day before because... Uh, very possibly you were out painting or you were doing construction or you with the medical group or you were out dedicating wells or you were feeding the children. So we all have different experiences every day, so we share those. And then uh, along with that, we try to share some spiritual insight of uh, what's God saying to us through this. And Ken always, I mean, he cries so easily, he's so wimpy, but uh, <laughs> his wife called me the king of cry last night. So you're the prince of cry or something, I don't know. But anyway, uh, he always shares from his heart and shares valuable things that I know have a greater impact on us. Uh, it, it always has an impact on us. You know, when we go on our short-term mission teams, I love to take teenagers. I had the best time with Sammy because I could relate to him because I have the gift of immaturity. So we're like the same <laughs> same age. What are you, 12, something like that, right? You know? uh, but anyway, it, it's a lot of fun, but it really has an impact. And I love when teenagers are long because you're at that age when it can really influence you. I mean, I feel influenced as an older person, but... It greatly influences younger people, and I always encourage people, uh, when your kids are 12, 13, 14, make sure they get to go on a short-term mission because it can really have a life uh, uh, impact. In fact, what's fun for me in doing this 37 years, I've actually had kids of kids travel with me now. The teenagers will say, when my mom was a teenager, she traveled with you. And it's so fun to see that the next generation is catching that. So I can't undervalue the opportunities we uh, give to take people uh, with us around the world. In fact, uh, some of you probably know nothing about Hope for Kids International. I just assume that I come every year that you do. but. Um, Uh, If you'd like more information, we have a table out back. You can pick up our brochures, see what we're doing, look up our website, follow our blogs when we're traveling, see what that's like. We have a number of opportunities to travel with us this year. The next one is February. We'll be in India, which is an interesting, uh, fascinating place. Our excursion is the Taj Mahal, which is uh, just one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. We'll be going uh, five times to Africa this next year. We'll be in Peru again. It'll be our last official trip to Peru. We'll send people with another organization, but it'll be the last one we're hosting. So we're really hoping for uh, some surfers that would join us this year. We're going to take Badio Kids surfing. We stay right on the beach. Uh, it could be a great opportunity uh, for you. Consider that. Uh, also, we'll be back in Romania and Russia. So if any of those places interest you, for you yourself or your family, uh, check out our brochure and how to uh, be, be, uh, come along with us on that. Well, I want to show you a, a few quick pictures of some things that are going on in Africa in particular to introduce you. As I said, we've been doing this since 1973. Um, when I do this little thing, that'll be okay. Now, I don't know how this picture got in here, but my staff put it in here. But uh, am I a goofball or what? Uh <laughs> We have a seminary uh, in Africa, and we were graduating 120 graduates, and uh, they told me uh, they were making me a gown because I was like the master of ceremonies or chief, whatever. And so uh, when I saw this, oh, I was so embarrassed until I saw uh, Pastor Wilbur, the guy next to me, because he looks more like the clown than I do. But anyway, this ended up on Facebook within minutes. One of our guys had his black bear, and you put it up on Facebook. So uh, that's for your enjoyment. Now uh, this is Ken and I acting a little weird at the equator. We had just been to a safari. We saw lions. We saw um, uh, hippos. We saw uh, uh, cape buffalo. We saw uh, lots of lots of elephants. Lots of elephants, and we saw lots of birds. And I found out that Ken doesn't like birds. He calls them flying rats. So I'm trying to, you know, introduce him to these exotic birds. If you're a bird watcher, Uganda's like bird watching paradises, 460. Uh, different species or something within a square mile or something. So we saw all those, didn't we? And so here Ken and I are doing the uh, flying like birds at the equator. So you see, we act a bit strange on these trips too. And I had my Toby Keith hat on. Uh, Cheryl and, and John were with us. This was really a neat picture because these are the two kids that Cheryl's been sponsoring the last couple years. And I know there's a number of you. Remember six years ago when I first came back from Uganda and I was so choked up about this whole thing because I met all these children and many had lost their parents to AIDS and I found out that 52% of the kids in that area die before their fifth birthday. Uh, Malaria is the number one killer. Uh, Measles is number two. Dysentery is number three because they don't have access to clean water. And then number four is diseases related to HIV AIDS. So when I saw this, I knew we could make a difference. And I came back and passionately explained it to you. And if I remember right, on that Sunday, six years ago, this Thanksgiving, you committed to sponsor, I think, uh, around 50 kids. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, uh, Cheryl had sponsored these two girls uh, a couple years ago. And uh, the the neat thing is that if you travel with us, you'll get to meet those children, get to spend time with them. Uh, it really becomes personal because we, we buy mosquito nets for them right away for, uh, uh, to help against malaria. We uh, buy them a mattress so they can sleep up off the floor. We uh, are digging wells in the area in which most of our kids are. And I want to show you a little bit about that. Um, I love this picture. We just took it a couple weeks ago. It's a little boy just posing right in front of this well we had just dug. And it really personalizes it to me. Here you can see a young girl carrying the water. And what we found out was, in fact, I think the next slide says, that 26% of the day for an African child is spent finding water. We found out that these girls were unable to attend school because they're walking or bicycling maybe three hours, uh, two miles, three miles for a water source. And one of the uh, things that we're trying to do is dig wells in their in their in their village. And I visited one of those villages a couple weeks ago, and we were digging a well there. And I asked the school kids. You can see in this picture. I said, show me your water source. And they all started running down this hill. And that's that photo. And then here is the water source. And when you look at that and see how filthy it is, and it stinks. And this is where those school kids are going to get their water. And the pastor said, you know, they're drinking disease. 75% of their diseases are waterborne. And I've been doing this a long time, and I often pray, God, I pray that my heart does not become calloused. And I stood there, and I I was so choked up when I saw that water source. I've seen so many water sources. I can't keep them separated in my mind. But I saw this, and all these kids running down this hill, and I just stopped, and I said, this is not right. This is wrong that kids around the world, almost a billion of them, do not have access to clean water. And it was so personal because these kids are running down. This says that uh, it's a population of 6,000 in that village, and they go six kilometers to a water source. Let me see the next one. It's a similar thing where they go four kilometers to a water source. And these are the water sources they find from their village. Um, This one also is... Uh, uh, four kilometers you can see they 're all just putrid places of of uh, water that that they that they uh, draw from and that 's what they drink then we 've tried to make a difference, and for about ten thousand one hundred and fifty dollars, we can dig a deep well our Our wells are all deep water wells because shallow wells get too much seepage from the surface in their poison wells. So we only dig deep wells. That means 150 to 300 feet deep. And it is so nice. When you, when you, I don't sit there and drink the water, but when I, when I open the well and pump it, and you can feel how cold and clean it is. It really is something. This is a smaller rig that we're trying to buy for about $285,000. We can actually get our rig that looked look like this one. Um, and this one we went almost 200, I think two hundred sixty five feet there, and it, we were actually there when they hit the vein of water, and you can see the water spraying, so that was really something. This is the well we dig it 's a pump because most of the villages have no source of electricity, so it 's a pump well, and uh, as I said, many, many people are served from that. Uh, one of the wells we dedicated this summer, eleven thousand people were. Uh, Drinking, Going to drink from that well And when the chief uh, uh, Were you with us that day when he danced? The Muslim chief Oh he danced and danced And one of the things about the Africans They say if they don't have anything to give you They'll dance for you And he danced and danced And then he said Tom can you dig us one more well There's 30,000 people there And I'd already arranged for that And I said yes we are And he started running through the crowd Back and forth The joy is unbelievable when they know that this is going to save their kids' lives. And I love this picture. We took that this this summer. Um, there was uh, a well we dug next to a school with 1,200 kids in their little yellow uniforms. And uh, one of the things that I always say is when the, the women are lined up with their jetty or or their, their jug, jugs, I always say, if you see a child, step back and let that child drink. Because this... Is so important for that child to drink. They're so dehydrated that that's why when they get measles and they and they perspire and fever, they they die, and their the life is so fragile. So this this literally changes their life. And when people ask me what what's probably the most critical thing we could do, I always say to dig a well, or if you could sponsor a child for thirty one dollars a month, a dollar a day. We literally can change a child by giving him those things, by putting them in school. And education breaks that cycle of poverty. So we believe we've got something that is very, very important. Well, I want to just focus a couple minutes here on um, uh, the, the theme that Ken's been speaking on these last weeks of unselfishness. And and uh, uh, I know when I talk about needs in the world and... and uh, uh, It can be a bit overwhelming, but I hope when I do it, I try to do it in a positive way to value these kids. Um, If you notice, my pictures don't have kids with bloated bellies, although a lot of them have them. They're not dirty-faced. I don't want your pity. I want you to join with me and see the value of these kids. That's why it's personal. If you sponsor a child, that child is your child. No other sponsor would be sponsoring that child. You are connected with a person, a valuable person. And so often when we talk about the value of life or the value of people, a lot of times Africa is forgotten. Oh, it's just Africa. Can you imagine if, if there were 2 million orphans in Northern Europe right now? What kind of headlines that would make? But just that's just Uganda. 2 million kids have lost their parents to HIV AIDS. Kids are raising kids. They're alone in huts. It's a, a tragedy. And we have found a way to respond, to make it personal, to meet these kids. But so often I run into our American thinking. We don't value life like they do in other places in the world. Sometimes we value life by the bottom line. You meet somebody and think, what can they do for me? What do they have that I need? And if we're honest, we say that. Pastor Ken in our, one of our morning meetings was saying that it's so easy to love these little beautiful children, but what about that one that's not so beautiful? What about that one that's a little older or a, a, a widow or a, a, a grandfather out there? It's not so easy. But Jesus asks us to love each other. To love God first and then to love one another. And I believe until we see the value of people, we won't be moved to do extraordinary things. Because it's so easy to say the bottom line is, and this is something we like to use in business. And we say, uh, what's the bottom line? In fact, I had someone say to me that recently. Well, what you're doing really doesn't have a lot of value because... It doesn't make an income. It doesn't bring any profit. Said, so "How can you ever say that a child does not have value?" But in our society of of what's the bottom line? Uh, this uh, paragraph, I want to read you from this from this. Um, Book that some of our staff people are are reading right now uh, just says it uh, so well. Um, This author says, I write this to lead you in some way away from normalcy. Normalcy is the way things appear to be. The bottom line, as businessmen love to say, they say, I heard your talk, Pastor, but the bottom line is. I know they are sincere, but they've never seen an alternate reality. Bottom line means only one thing, buying and selling. What a strange and unsatisfying foundation for life, for spirituality. The Christian vision is that the world is a temple, and buying and selling the temple is the one thing that drove Jesus to anger and violence. It destroys inherent value and replaces it with an utterly false scene, market value, the world of mediocrity and exchange rates. It destroys the soul. It had to be driven out of there or there would be no temple. There was no temple if you live merely in the world of buying and selling and the so-called bottom line. In that world, everything is weighed. And that kind of thinking is dead. Preoccupation with exchange value and market value tends to blind us almost totally to inherent value. And then the author finishes that thought by saying, prayer, though, reconnects us with inherent value. Everything becomes priceless, as if it were sacred. And everything is sacred in the, wor- in the world is a temple. So when you think about the value of people, so often we look at some that have a better bottom line that could help us with our cause or our business or our church and we put a higher value. Yet Jesus is blowing this thinking away. Pastor John is a pastor friend of ours that travels with us quite frequently, at least annually, from uh, Seaside Community Church in Huntington Beach. And he was also sharing in our morning session, and he talked about the scripture where Jesus was walking to the crowd, and the scripture says, and the crowd was so great, they pressed against him. And then Jesus said, who touched me? And his followers were like, well, everybody's touching you. No, someone touched me with faith. And it found out that it was this woman, as the scripture said, had an issue with bleeding. And she was instantly healed. And it was personalized. Even in this crowd. And John challenged us that in the next days when you walk through a crowd, walk slowly in the crowd and notice people. Notice individuals. So the next day, that, later that day, I was out dedicating some wells. And when I was out there, the crowd was huge. But I took the time and I deliberately looked for faces that would catch my attention. And it was personal. Then the value of that water that we were bringing wasn't given to thousands. It was given to that person and that person. And it became personal. And I thought, what a refreshing thing. So often in our crowded lives, we lose sight of the value of people. And it's so tempting to shut them out. I know I've told this story here before, but when I first started way back in, I think it was 1974, I had just smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union uh, in the summer of 73. And I was speaking in Minneapolis it was called the Metropolitan Auditorium. I mean, it was so long ago, that building no longer exists. Now it's the Mall of America. Uh, and, and there was a, a hockey team called the Minnesota North Stars, and they're no longer there. They're the Dallas Stars or whatever. So I was speaking, and Corey Ten Boom, who was the author of a book called The Hiding Place, uh, a lady that had hidden Jews in, in Holland during World War II, was in her 80s and was a remarkable speaker very moving, and she told about love and forgiving each other, just amazing stuff. And I met her in the green room before I was 19. I was just starting out, and I said, I'm just starting a ministry. What advice can you give me? And she gave me a word of advice of which I've never forgotten. I've tried to live by that. And that is that God never allows anyone to come across my path, that he does not intend to do something through my life into theirs or their life into mine. So the reason I'm so passionate about asking you to help and be a part of this is because they've come across my path. They've come across your path. They've come across many of your paths. And their need is great. And if we truly, as followers of Jesus, believe that uh, God is our creator and that every person has sacred value, the, there's no one without value. In fact, when we were in, in India in February, it really became real. Is in the Hindu system with caste system, there are those that are untouchable because of where they've been born or what caste they've been born into. And the, the shadow cannot even cross theirs without violating And it's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. And I heard a story from a young man who said he was drinking a cup of tea in a village. And they spotted him as untouchable. And they came and the owner said, "Uh, you have to pay for this cup. And then he paid for the cup and he smashed the cup. And he cleaned because the dirty one had been there. And the chance to go and share with with people who... No, inside, there must be somebody that loves me out there. And the the person I was talking to that told that story said, and then he heard about Jesus and realized he was the one that loved him and valued him, that he was the creator of all things. So if we realize that, then we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we're sent into our community, sent into this world to make a difference, to value people. So let me close by just saying there's opportunities all around us. Earlier, you were read opportunities to make a difference in your community. And there's many of those. Uh, Betty was telling me last night about the uh, tutoring program at the school that is so needed for volunteers. Uh, Some visit those in hospice at the end of their life. What a great thing you can do. Some have a heart for prison ministry or hospital ministry or teenagers or those in trouble. Uh, There's so many opportunities. If we value people, I believe we'll get involved. Maybe this morning you'd like to get more involved in our organization or some other organization that does similar things. My concern is that you're involved somewhere. To sponsor a child for a dollar a day. I've got about 75 kids that recently had their sponsors drop them because of of the economy. If you're one that's able to pick them up, I've got their pictures out here today. You can look at their pictures and even choose a child and sign up today for $31 a month. You'll change that child's destiny. You may want to dig a well with us. Uh, Maybe your family could do it. Maybe your friends could do it. Maybe, you know, your group could do it. Uh, Change the life of thousands of people. For decades, they'll have fresh water. Maybe you'd like to go on a mission with us. It's a life-changing experience. Let's pray and say, God, what is it that we can do to respond, especially in this time when we're thinking about living an unselfish life? Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit is very present here today. I know you're speaking to us, challenging our hearts about valuing people. Oh, if we could just value like you do. Jesus, give us a glimpse of how you feel about our neighbors, about our people at school or at work or around the world. And then God, fill us with ideas of how we can creatively Get involved in bringing your life to these people through meeting some of their basic needs. So God, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for
0: listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.